Welcome back to Behind the Screens. I'm Ryan Preventure from Movio. I'm Simon Burton from Numero. I'm Matthew Liebman from Vista Group. Anyone read a good book last week? Lots of people might have looked at it, Matt. I guess the glass half full angle, if I was to take one, is that last weekend grossed about 100,000 more at the domestic market than 2021. And 2021 had week one of the Suicide Squad and week two of Jungle Cruise. Glass half empty is uh, grossed about half as much as 2019 with Hobbs and Shaw in week two, The Lion King in week four, and Dora and the Lost City of Gold debuting at 17.4 mil. Uh, which is significantly stronger than anything we saw this week. I don't know. I guess one of the things we should probably talk about a little bit is is Prey because, you know, Ryan and I had a look at it over the last week and, and liked it. And we did make a big song and dance that it should have been theatrical. I saw an article in The Vulture that said that the reason Disney hasn't released it theatrically is that when they bought Fox, it came with a legacy contract obligation that any projects greenlit when Fox um, was still running itself, had to be released on HBO Max. So if they did put it in theatres, instead of appearing on Disney Plus or Hulu or whatever the platform is in, in your part of the world, it would have gone to the competitor. Um, so assuming that's true, I guess that's a pretty solid explanation for a film that I think most people think is pretty good, not hitting the cinema screens. Part of it is, first of all, you know, we're in an empty marketplace. If they had the opportunity and this wasn't going on, you know, you could have really just helped theaters out and this movie could have done 10, 15, even, you know, maybe a $20 million opening. But the opening on Hulu was good. It is it is good for them in that sense. They had one of the biggest, if not the biggest, you know, film opening ever for Hulu. And that's that's at least a good sign for them. But it's disappointing from the exhibitor standpoint, simply because we just need, we need somewhat big films in the marketplace right now because we're really in the lull. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's the only logical explanation. Um, and on that, why don't we jump in and take a, a look at the, the global box office this past weekend, what there was of it. Um, at number one, we still had Bullet Train from Sony taking an additional $17 million from 61 markets, uh, bringing its global cube to $114 million. It also added another $13.5 million to be number one at the domestic box office, uh, a good international drop of only 40%, uh, and the cum there stands at $61 million. Some of the other uh, films in the top five, we had Minions, Rise of Gru, grossing another $10 million internationally. Top Gun Maverick, an additional $8.4 million, which has now surpassed $700 million internationally. Uh, DC League of Super Pets, $7.7 million. Uh, you also had the... the broad release of Nope internationally this past weekend across 19 markets, bringing in 6.4 million. An interesting stat there I thought was that brings the global cum to 113 million. So about 95% of its gross has come from the, the domestic marketplace. Uh, and that wraps up the, the global box office. Anything exciting happening in the US market given the releases or is it really holdovers? Uh, no, it's it's all holdovers. I think um, if you look at the, the new releases, uh, we'll include Bodies, Bodies, Bodies because it was it broadened from six screens to about 1,300 this past weekend. Um, they were ranked in position number 8, 10 and 13. We'll include the Paramount Forrest Gump remake 
Uh, I'm going to stuff this up, but I'll have a crack at the pronunciation of the actual title, Lal Singh Chadar. Is that right, Matt? Couldn't tell you. Is life still like a box of chocolates or is it something else in this film? I couldn't tell you that either. I don't know. But it, it actually, look, mate, it, it released on 500 locations, nearly 1.5 million bucks for a screen average of 3,000 bucks. To put that in perspective, that was the same identical screen average that Bullet Train had this last weekend in weekend two, right? So that was, a, a, if we're trying to find highlights, then I think that was uh, that was certainly one at the, the domestic box office. Um, why don't we take a closer look at Bodies, 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 the film that ranked number eight. We can look at the audience profile there. Uh, it grossed $3.25 million, as I said, expanding to 1,290 screens from six last weekend. Well, the reviews for Bodies, Bodies, Bodies were was around 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, and that's a really strong movie, but audiences didn't necessarily feel the same way about it. But when we sort of looked at it with comparison films, the comps that we had here for Bodies, Bodies, Bodies was Escape Room Tournament of Champions, which was the sequel to the first one, Old, Don't Breathe 2, Candyman, A Quiet Place 2, and Scream. And what we sort of saw here was there were much more frequent moviegoers that went to see Bodies, Bodies, Bodies than the comparable films that we just looked at. 46% of moviegoers were frequent moviegoers of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies compared to 31% for the comps. The occasional and frequent were much higher for the comps. For 35 to 25% for occasional, comps being 35%, 25% for Bodies, Bodies, Bodies and 31% to 15% for infrequent, meaning 31% was for the comps and 15% for infrequent for bodies, bodies, bodies. So you really kind of saw that people who were kind of really out and going to movies somewhat frequently was, was interested in something like, was interested in bodies, bodies, bodies. It was, the younger demographic certainly was the one that came out for this particular film compared to the comparisons. 18 to 24 were 25, 24% for bodies, 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 with only 12% for the comparable ones. And 25 to 35 years old was 25% for bodies and only 15% for the comparables. So you can kind of see that the young, the younger audience tended to, to skew a little more in this particular film. There was that, that sort of demographic actually in the cast that were going to bring out younger people regardless. The, the male to female ratio was pretty much the same in what you'd expect for a film like this was 56% for bodies, male, and 54% for the comparable film. So virtually the same. And that's what you'd expect for a film like this. So really younger audience, a little more frequent went to see Bodies, Bodies, Bodies this week when then com comparable to some of those other films. And I guess there's a, a little bit of trivia um, for our listeners. We almost renamed Behind the Screens Bodies, Bodies, Bodies when Ryan joined it and became a three-person show. That wasn't the only title, though. And just like that joke, <laughs> let's talk about Fall. Yes, <laughs> let's talk about Fall. Um, that's why we still got you on, the, on the, the show, Matt, is for those beautiful segues from just one film to the other. Yeah, that, that was beautiful. Didn't skip a beat. Um, Fall in North American market, $2.5 million this past weekend from a tick over 1,500 screens coming in at number 10. Uh, Ryan, of those patrons that did get out. What, what did they look like? Yeah. Yeah. What were their bodies, bodies, bodies? Yeah. <laughs> well, it was actually not the easiest movie to create comparisons for 
really the movie we started with was 47 Meters Down, Uncaged. And that sort of brought you an audience of Crawl, The Meg, Ready or Not, which sort of fits with this particular audience in It Chapter 2. So when looking at those comparisons, you have to see that they're not exactly alike uh, for the audience. But let's just kind of look at how it went. And it was it was kind of similar like Bodies in that more frequent moviegoers were seeing a movie like Fall than, than lesser occasional and in, infrequent. In, in I think part of the reason you're seeing that for these two movies was they didn't have that breakout sort of way of... I have to go see this movie in the theater. So frequent moviegoers who just tend to see movies that are out no matter what, you're going to kind of, you know, they're going to see a movie like Fall. They're going to see a movie like Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. And the frequent moviegoers for Fall were 41% compared to 31% for the comparable ones. The bigger difference was the infrequent, which was only 19% for Fall, but 31% for the comparable ones. And that again is sort of the age demographics were virtually the same for fall in the comps that and the same for ethnicity caucasians being 31% of the audience sort of what you would probably expect for a film like this again people just aren't going out to see these movies and one thing it was sort of a benefit that lionsgate did bring the film out to audiences i will give them out that they did bring down the numbers a little bit in the in the screen and theater count. So it went from what they thought was going to be a little bit higher to something a little bit lower. Hey, one thing we should call out is um, Elvis's performance last weekend. So it hit premium video on demand in the US market. And as Forbes pointed out, it topped iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, YouTube and Vudu as the number one uh, PVOD title. But it still earned about 2.6 million at the box office. That's down just 34%. It's now hit 141 mil. It's only a few bucks off exceeding Gatsby at 145 mil domestic lifetime. And that one had Leo in it. So, you know, some good story well below the line, but it'll be nice to see it tick over and uh, be Basil Luhrmann's highest domestic title in a couple of days. When you think of movies like that, you know, you have Bohemian Rhapsody, which did huge numbers. You have Simon who laughs in the background, so you can't actually finish your sentence. And then you have but you had you had Rocket Man, which did a little under a hundred million. So this this overperformed that. So you know, musicals can have the you got to look at the long game for them. Well, after West Side Story and In the Heights, I guess there was a, a bit of a questioning on the genre, and and here's one with another long tail. So, but let me now transition to our interview. I was lucky enough to talk to Valmir Fernandez, who I've um, had the fortune of knowing for a number of years. Valmir is the president of International for Cinemark, uh, focusing on the LATAM region. And it was great to catch up with him. Valmir Fernandez has been with Cinemark for more than 20 years, initially as the general manager of Cinemark Brazil, and since March 2007 as president of its international circuit, which today encompasses more than 200 theatres and almost 1,500 screens across 15 LATAM countries. Valmir's role in entrenching Cinemark as a leader in that region has seen him recognised with a Global Achievement in Exhibition Award from Cinemacon, amongst his other recognitions. I always enjoy catching up with Valmir, and I'm really grateful for the chance to t speak to him today for the pod. Welcome, Valmir. Thank you. It's always great to be with you. Look, it's it's really easy for those of us outside the Latin American region to fall into the trap of thinking of it as just one whole uh, undifferentiated part of the world. So maybe to set the scene, can you call out a few of the differences you see in the countries you operate in, maybe in terms of movie preferences or frequency or concessions behavior? Well, I think it's extremely complex uh, environment, which people try to, to simplify. But um, at the end, when we start operating 
you see the differences because uh, it's number one, it's a region that is uh, in uh, permanent movement. So in some periods, we, we used to have uh, uh, most of the countries going well and one or another facing issues. Now, we probably see most of the countries facing serious uh, economic and political pressures. So, and it's unique. Every country mm-hmm. is unique. And um, even from the point of view of our business, while we don't see significant differences uh, when we talk about um, taste for movies, we still see a few. Uh, but, uh, but I would say in most of the region, the Hollywood product continues to represent around 90% of the business. So, mm-hmm. so with differences in terms of uh, how every country receives uh, different genres, and also depends on marketing campaigns that are sometimes different country by country. So we can see lots of variation. But uh, I think what it ex- exemplifies is, uh, is what is going on right now with Argentina being the country where it's performing uh, similarly to 2019, which is uh, a baseline. And uh, while others continue to be uh, way below 2019. So... We see everything around, and uh, as I said, the taste-wise, it's uh, it's similar. But when we get into the details, everything is different, and we are subject to that on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and you mentioned Argentina, and maybe to an extent, it sounds like um, cinema might be back or coming back in that region. To what extent do the economic environment, um, environmental impacts? drive admissions in other countries because i guess as the world starts to go into a bit of an economic slowdown we've sometimes seen that slower economic conditions can boost cinema when people can't have holidays and so on is there anything we can predict from what you've seen in some of the more tumultuous countries in your circuit i would say to be honest i wouldn't be extremely concerned about uh, the political and economic environment because honestly the market or the industry has proven multiple times that uh, has an incredible resilience <laughs> and uh, and also i would say that when we look about look at the performance of recent titles in the region we we see clearly that the the public is ready to come back mm. even if the political and economical uh, situations are not at the best, they show that, uh, hey, we are here to watch movies. I think that's very good. What um, what I think we are suffering more is, uh, number one, is the reduced number of, uh, of films, and also the fact that uh, some uh, mid-sized films are not working as well as we expected, and then the fact that um, the local industry has also been impacted uh, with the changes in the market. So we can see also less local films uh, being released. Other than that, uh, honestly, uh, we still have some uh, some restrictions in place in a couple of countries. But other than that, I think um, the other reasons wouldn't be that so critical. I think what we are seeing is that uh, supply issue that is still impacting the business. Yeah, and you mentioned local content. 
in normal times, how important is local content to that part of the world versus Hollywood content? And and what are some of the, the impacts that you've seen? You mentioned that there's been less production locally as well as internationally. What are some of the drivers of the, the local production slowdown? I would say, number one, the, the local production is extremely important because it adds adds to the business, bring uh, sometimes people that are not our usual clients. So it's extremely important. So we like to see that uh, growing and, and becoming more important. The problem is that similar to what happened to Hollywood with uh, some content uh, hitting streaming, uh, we we are facing similar challenges in the local markets. And also because of the pandemic disruptions in the local industry, that, that was much more impactful than what we saw in more developed markets. So I, yeah. uh, I feel uh, because of the lack of structure of, um, of the production in some of these countries, they suffer much more and they are taking a little longer to, uh, to normal levels. Look, I was looking at your most recent investor presentation, uh, which came out at the beginning of May, and Cinemark in that document talked about the importance of delivering an extraordinary in-theatre experience, and it also talked about deepening and extending the overall guest engagement. And I was wondering what that looks like across your LATAM circuit. I, I would say, basically, directionally, we follow the same strategy. And uh, uh, I think that totally applies to, to Latin America. So we try to offer the same technology. We try to, to bring everything that we have. We try to, to implement. In fact, some, sometimes it's the other way around. We implement mm. a few things in the region and we, we also take advantage in domestic. But uh, I would say from, from the point of a presentation and experience, we try to go hand in hand with the, what uh, U.S. is trying to 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 uh, offer to the to the clients, and um, and we are trying obviously increase the engagement of the clients uh, with our several channels, trying to to be able to uh, just be more effective as we try to contact and obviously activate that uh, that huge base of clients. Mm-hmm. You did touch on the fact that some of the innovations you've uh, developed in the LATAM region have then passed back into the domestic market. What are a couple of examples of those? I would say two uh, very good examples where we started with the loungers way, mm-hmm. way before domestic engage on this, um, on this conversion uh, of the theaters to loungers. Obviously, they went way further than than we did because we launched the loungers as uh, only on the VIP screens mm-hmm. while they basically converted the whole circuit or, or a big part of the circuit to, to loungers. So that was uh, an experience then when uh, people start considering the, in the West, we were already doing in Latin America in a slightly different way, but we, we pioneer on, on that. And, uh, and the other thing is that uh, when we talk about uh, the loyalty program, our, uh, it was not totally spread out in the region, but we, we started with a, with a, a subscription program way earlier than, uh, than Cinemark did theirs in the uh, U.S. So we were testing that uh, ahead of time. In fact, I think it was, was very uh, positive to be able to, 
to use uh, some of these initiatives from Cinemark International where, when they were designing their movie club um, uh, platform, which ended up being a very successful uh, subscription uh, program. So yes, th those are two examples. I I'm sure there are a few others, but uh, I think the, the fact that they allow us to uh, basically test a few things in a smaller scale or in a given market has always been very positive for the overall company. Yeah, absolutely. And you touch on that subscription program. And I saw just about a month ago up in the US that the Cinema Movie Club, the subscription program there crossed a million active members. How does subscription and loyalty and paid loyalty all come together in the LATAM region? How, how do you think of those programs and how do you use the data to, to activate membership? Well, first of all, I think we, we have to recognize that even being uh, the pioneers uh, in, inside Cinemark, we have different uh, levels of, of penetration and development across the, the region. So we have uh, regions that are, or countries that are more advanced, where uh, uh, a few others, we are still working on creating the, the structure and um, the basis for, for launching some of mm. this program. So it is very diverse. But I, I would say that uh, we see absolutely the same picture. We see a lot of, of uh, benefits on engaging the clients in these in this programs. Obviously, monthly subscription is a, is a, is a dream. Let's say everybody wants that to, to be as successful as we have seen Movie Club being here in the US. And that's the direction we are going. We are, we are trying to offer different options to the clients and uh, with the goal of uh, uh, being able to connect with different uh, uh, types of clients. So we obviously, we're gonna have a different relationship with the heavy user from the ones that are, that are going just a, a couple of times a year. But uh, the, ideally, we want to have uh, uh, the contact with all these clients and being able to activate them as much as possible, and uh, and basically with one one uh, final intention that is mm -hmm. to to engage them and and make them go more frequently to the movie. So I think from the point of view of a strategy and direction, we are extremely aligned with uh, what we are doing in the domestic market. Mm -hmm. But uh, as I said, it's a uh, it's it some things take a little longer just because of a. Uh, of the size of the markets and uh, and how long it takes to to put everything in place internationally. Yeah, yeah. At Cine Europe, the, the most recent international trade conference, there was a lot of talk about premiumizing cinemas, and that's a very generic term. So I was wondering how that might be interpreted at Cinema for your region and, and how it, it's manifesting, what forms premiumizing is taking in, in your circuit. I would say, uh, this premiumizing, in my point of view, in, involves everything that provides either a a more luxury experience or or it provides a a better experience. So I would include on that everything from from the VIP uh, screens to the 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 four D experiences, the D box. Even the the XDs or premium large formats, and even going through the 3D again, which is mm. has never missed the the, the that strength in in Latin America. 
So I would say everything in that in that sense um, is involved on on making or achieving that that premium uh, experience. And I think our challenge is to uh, is to obtain a fair value for those experiences while providing the base experience in a very with a very high quality and for that person that basically wants the traditional 2d film in a regular screens without any anything else so i would say latin america will always be a high volume for that base experience yeah. but i i definitely can tell you that there is a lot of appetite for those premium experiences we what we have to do is communicate that properly and the clients will consume as long as they they see the benefit they see the value proposition of those experiences and that's why i think we have a successful experiences in in those premium formats mm. uh, they are and when you look at experience you know even the best facility can uh, deliver an average experience if the team running it isn't empowered and uh, isn't isn't there with experience. How are you finding it in terms of attracting and retaining frontline staff across LATAM? We're hearing that it's tough in many parts of the world. Is it the same there? And if it is, how, how do you combat that to retain that experience in your staff base? That is one thing that uh, right now LATAM is, is different because because of the economic impact on the region, it is not as difficult as it is in the U.S. and some of in some of more developed markets to find that that frontline employee. The problem that we face on on providing this premium service is is the fact that the the product flow being inconsistent uh, makes us have to react to that inconsistencies. And um, and then you sometimes you you hire uh, a ton of employees. Then you uh, thirty days later you have to work with your minimum capacity, mm. and uh, and that turnover uh, makes our life very difficult. Nothing new. It's mm. uh, it's just exacerbated in this in this moment. So different from the from the uh, challenge of uh, finding people and having to pay more. We are challenged with this, with this ups and downs or peaks and valleys of the industry, uh, with which is added with the with the inflationary pressures that are coming that don't make life easier in the region as well. But uh, I would say that's the biggest challenge is to is to see that level of uh, of uh, staff changing dramatically mm. and to adapt to a certain level of uh, experience. So. Uh, that's, I think, the challenge that uh, that is every single exhibitor is facing in the region. I would yeah. say that is different, but at the end, it's not very. Uh, it's uh, uh, pressures come from different points, but the the challenge is similar uh, to U.S., England, and and other countries. With that in mind, how are you balancing um, operational technology and automation with? a desire to create human connections, which is one of the points of difference that cinemas have over watching a movie on the couch, for example. Yeah, I, I would say we are, we're looking very heavily on on improving the, the automation um, because facing the problems that we are facing as an industry, we absolutely need to automate and uh, and be more efficient on, on serving clients. 
even if that uh, uh, represents a, 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 a little bit of a loss in terms of the human contact. So I think we're going we're gonna to fix that down the road once we, we are out of the woods in terms of this, this crisis. So we are, we're focusing on, on, the, on the automation right now. And, uh, but obviously, we have, uh, we have uh, specific locations in the specific markets where we, we need to provide that, uh, that higher level, that better experience. And uh, we are also taking care of that. So it's a mix. It's not every uh, one size fits all. Mm. Obviously, we're trying to aut- automate as much as possible. But in some cases, we, we, we basically see that uh, providing this additional level of uh, human contact uh, re- has a higher return. And then in those cases, yes, we are also considering. So mm-hmm. again, a, a, a very challenging period where we are going to have to make some uh, some hard decisions and and maybe adjust a little bit as we as we go on. Yeah. Now we've talked a couple of times about I guess the supply chain issue that, that the industry has both uh, Hollywood content and domestically and that that pipeline will fill again now that that some of the covid restrictions are easing. But and also I guess the impact that that supply chain has on labor continuity and the certainty your team has for hours. So to what extent is alternate content finding a role in LATAM to plug the gaps of traditional content, you know, music, sport, gaming, and so on? Look, I think we, this is a, a industry challenge. To be honest with you, I have seen some good examples, but I, I haven't seen anywhere in the world a, a, an option that would, um, would prove to be consistent in terms of providing alternative content. So yes, we have great examples coming from sports, uh, obviously soccer in Latin America, Mm -hmm. uh, music concerts performing extremely well, even better because we have a a higher capability of uh, having those those contents in multiple screens and complexes in the region. However, I have to say that I'm not happy which uh, with what we accomplish as an industry, not a cinema, as an industry, mm-hmm. I'm happy with what we accomplished so far because uh, clearly uh, we need more from from what we call alternative content. So I think we are we continue to explore opportunities in gaming. Uh, we continue to explore opportunities in in all sorts of uh, uh, music concerts and in other uh, elements, but uh, there is. Nothing very unique because at the end we are, oh, look, BTS was fantastic. Mm. I agree. BTS was fantastic all over the world. And then you, you have those, those examples of, um, of alternative content that uh, work globally, but we cannot, we have not yet as an industry develop a, a, a successful and uh, and consistent product flow. So I think that is still uh, embryonary. Even mm. I know we have been working on this for the last ten years. It's just that it has not uh, so far created the level of business that I would like to see uh, in uh, for alternative content. Yeah, yeah. Look, I know I've taken a lot of your time up, but maybe as a final question, because in in the time I've known you. Um, the the LATAM region, as you said, there's always one country going through some turmoil and you've had to ride that and the rest of the world is only just adapting a little bit with COVID. So 
as a final question, what gives you confidence in our industry, in your region, but globally when you, when you look at it? Well, I feel what gives me confidence was the fact that uh, the performance of uh, the movies recently proved to everyone that needs that proof uh, that what we have been saying uh, uh, is, is, was confirmed. So my point is that different from uh, the, having the exhibitors uh, trying to show how successful films could be in theatrical, I think the market and in some of those recent films were extremely powerful on delivering a message by themselves without even any exhibitor saying one single word. So mm -hmm. I would say we couldn't be uh, more pleased and blessed uh, for having uh, Spider-Man, for having uh, Top Gun, for having Minions and, mm. and other movies that prove Sonic, for example. So we we had very, very good product performing at a, a incredible level, which I think uh, makes us uh, believe that the industry is back and uh, we are still in a transition phase for, for different reasons. Um, but it makes me feel we are in the right direction. The problem is that we, we need to, to see is how long this transition will take. And uh, obviously, the sooner, the better. Yep. And because uh, we all need a strong industry with, uh, with the growth potential. potential. And, uh, but in the meantime, we are trying to <clears throat> do the best we can with, uh, with the supply issues that we have been facing. Yeah, yeah. Look, that's a perfect place to leave it. Uh, I think that, you know, as, as we've talked, you have, with your various uh, country GMs, worked the market through the marketing, ridden the curves of, of economic and political turmoil. And I think there's a lot of lessons for the rest of the world as we, we emerge from, from pandemics and maybe fight some economics. So thank you for sharing your insights, Valmir. It's always great to catch up. No, it's a, it's a pleasure. And uh, I have to say, it's, uh, it's, um, this challenge is what make us get out of bed every day and, uh, and continue working with the same energy that we always dedicated to theatrical because we, we feel we are moving in the right direction. And uh, it's just very exciting. I would say it's, uh, it's, it's good to have the challenge. I think we just had too much, but eventually we're going to get to the right level again and, uh, and continue being successful. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Thank you again. You're welcome. Thanks, Matt. Another wonderful interview there. Looking forward to next week at the domestic box office. Uh, we have Idris Elba in Universal's Beast, I believe, a follow-up to, to Cats. Um, so looking forward to some box office success there next weekend. And then the following week, we have... 3,000 Years of Longing. Is that a, is that a G up? I've never heard of that film. No, it's, um, it's actually a George Miller film, but it also has Idris Elba. And so that's two Idris Elba films. And as we all know, everybody needs two Elbas. <laughs> I don't even get that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to make a similar joke. But two Elbas. <laughs> No one's going to get it. No one's going to get it because they didn't see you holding your elbows up to the screen. Oh. Ryan, do you want to have a crack at closing it out? No, I, I think we keep that. Put a little elbow grease into it, Ryan. 
<laughs> I think it should be called Beast Simba's Revenge from The Lion King. That I would have called it. That's a good one. That might bring out a few more people to the box office, right? Just fool them into thinking it's another Lion King film. Perfect. Well, until next week, we'll see what the box office is. <laughs> I'll work on my jokes. Movio and Numero are two of the businesses within the Vista Group, the world-leading provider of technology solutions to the global film industry. For more moviegoer insights, be sure to visit movio.co and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. The Behind the Screens podcast is produced by Grace Furness and edited by Patrick Hanna.